What the hell? What the hell? What the hell is up? What the? Hi, my name is Claire and I'm here to chat with artists, creators, and inspired folks about passion and their visions for success on an earth that's melting. We'll talk about identity, creativity, community, and how art can cultivate healing and change. Along the way, you'll hear music from rising indie artists. I believe the art is meant to connect us. When we listen, respond, and create, we connect and have the power to make change, even while living on this chaotic earth. So what the hell is up with you? Hello there, and welcome back to season two of What the Hell is Up? What the hell is up, friend? I hope that you're settling into your summer and feeling blessed by all that's up. Today's episode, I'm asking what the hell is up with sweet, sweet justice and what the hell is up with baking cakes to advocate for racial justice. This episode features Michaela Banks, who is a registered nurse with Public Health Seattle King County and the leader of an Instagram platform called Sweet Sweet Justice, which is a weekly cake auction where all proceeds go to local organizations working toward racial justice. I was lucky enough to score one of Michaela's cakes. It was a gluten-free, vegan, chai caramel cheesecake, and all those proceeds went to Faith for Justice Community Healing Fund, which provides micro-grants to families and communities most, effect- most impacted by mass incarceration. I was inspired by Michaela using a passion in cake baking towards such an important purpose, and also balancing this endeavor while being a nurse, which is something I could relate to. Michaela and I discussed the importance of continuing to engage in anti-racist education, what it means to be an ally, and how to carry out anti-racist work in an embodied way. Today's episode features music by the amazing Marshall Law Band, which is a Seattle-based funk hop band with a mission to spread love through music. I'm so excited to feature the just beautiful song called Mercy, which is part of the Marshall Law Band's Twelfth and Pine, an album which dropped in October as a reflection on the Black Lives Matter protests in the summer of 2020. Twelfth and Pine is, according to the frontrunner of the band, a visceral experience. It's what they really went through at the BLM protests of 2020. Before Michaela and I started our chat, I set the mood by playing this song, which inspired consideration of how we, especially as white women, might participate in this conversation productively while acknowledging the pain of our past fragility and the pain of the continued existence of racism in our communities. Believe me when I tell you I'm not perfect. Past the point of churches baptized by all these verses. If hell scorches, then tell me what this earth is. Cause I've been down so long, feel I finally found my purpose. But I got it. Lord have mercy on my soul, cause I need it. Mad at us kneeling, that's cat, we're barely breathing. Why? Must we scream just for you to hear us? Summon all these spirits, poof, deliverance from evil. Ooh. So when you look, find me in the Buddha pose Eating veggie rolls, arm around the centerfold This ain't a flex, I just finally let my soul glow Sure, I'll take a photo, remember why you know me though For going face to face with the po-po Toe-to-toe, providing hope when there was no Got you For putting on for the forgotten Mercy on my soul, I'm feeling polished and popping Mercy, mercy on my soul I've been down this long and lonely road 
remember, stay grounded. Momentum moves mountains. The wins and losses of youth's fountain. Really, who's counting when love is the outcome? So keep your chin up and stay calm. Remember, you've been fine all along. Just okay. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Okay, first question, just to warm it up, um, I want to ask you, like, what the hell is up with you? Like, how are you doing? I'm doing so good. It's beautiful outside, and I jumped in a lake. So that's really the only important thing going on in my life right now. I'm very excited about the lake jump. (laughs) (laughs) But it was like the inaugural lake jump of your summer. Yeah. That's big. It's the season now. I will be continuing to jump in lakes, and this was the first one. Okay. That's yeah. that's so good. I was actually texting a friend because um, she also loves to jump in lakes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, it's hot enough now, so when do you want to go? It's time. <laughs> it is. Well, that's awesome. I'm really glad that you were able to do that and be here now. So um, can you just like talk about your background and like where y- you're from and like kind of your journey up until this point? Sure. Wow, that's a big question. (laughs) Um, Summary. Um, Well, my name is Michaela. I'm just from this area. I was raised pretty much in Kent in South King County. Um, My family moved to Eastern Washington when I was younger, my junior year of high school. So I did my last year of high school over in Walla Walla. Came back and uh, went to SPU for nursing school. Graduated from SPU in 2016. I worked at Neighbor Care, um, which is like a nonprofit community health clinic in Seattle right after graduation, which was wonderful. And then um, married my now husband in 2017. And we moved to Denmark for two years, a little over two years for his job. He's an engineer. Um, And while we were there, I got my master's in international public health. And then we moved back. Since then, we've bought a house in Kent, and I'm working at um, Public Health Seattle in King County. So we're here to talk about, though, your passion of baking cakes and what you're doing with that. So um, I want to know what the hell is up with Sweet Sweet Justice, and mm-hmm. like, what does that name mean to you, and what your project is? Yeah, well, Sweet Sweet Justice has been my um, quarantine project started in August of 2020. Um, It's very simple. I just bake cakes and then um, every week, now I'm doing every two weeks, bake a cake and announce it on Instagram, all Instagram based. Um, So with each cake announcement is also an organization announcement. And so each week we focus on a different aspect of systemic racism and a different organization that's doing important work to address that part of um, just injustice, whether it's locally or nationally. Um, And so we learn about what the issue is, what the work is that's being done by this organization, and then that kicks off a 24-hour auction. Um, And during that 24 hours, I share more information about what the organization is doing on Instagram, as well as behind the scenes um, of baking that cake for the week. Um, And during that 24 hours, folks put their auction on or put their bid on the post. And at the end of 24 hours, the highest bidder wins the cake. And then all the proceeds go to that organization of the week. So cool. (laughs) That's awesome. What inspired you to, to start that? 
Well, I've always loved baking. So that's been just a hobby in the back, um, just the back corner of my life all the time, starting when I was very young. I was a bit of a perfectionist with a bit of anxiety. <laughs> and so it was really just a coping skill. I feel Baking it. was very therapeutic. It's like a bit meditative. Um, it always, it's very predictable. Like if you follow the rules, it will turn out. And so that was just very therapeutic for my sweet, anxious heart as a young person. And I had a sweet tooth. So whatever came out of that baking project was always a win. Um, so I had been baking for a long time. Um, I had gotten more into it while we lived in Denmark, just with having more time on my hands. I started um, trying new techniques. I was really into cookies in Denmark. So a lot of cookies at okay. that time. Um, and then we moved back and, um, you know, 2020, there was just so much learning happening and it was, a, it was a hard and beautiful time of myself and a lot of white folks learning about racism, racial injustice. And I saw as we were nearing the end of this summer, this, um, this question that a lot of my community was having was now what, you know, I, I know, I see that this is real now, um, I've made the posts, but now what? What's my action step? Um, and as someone who myself tends towards, you know, saviorism or reinventing the wheel, wanting to be the center of attention, um, I wanted to to um, do something that pointed back to the folks that have been really doing this work long, long, long before 2020, and specifically the Black people and the people of color who have been leading this work. Um, and so I was already baking cakes quite frequently. I was finishing up my master's dissertation and working on the COVID response. And so there was a lot of need for coping. And so I was baking a lot. Um, and as I was finishing up my dissertation and brainstorming, um, what am I gonna do in this next season? Um, I'm gonna have all this time and energy open up and um, it was a great opportunity for a reassessment. What do I wanna do with this new open slot of time and energy. Um, so I put some feelers out about whether folks would be open to buying cakes if I auctioned them off and donated the proceeds. Um, and so it came together fairly naturally. I baked the first couple of cakes and it was just so well received. Um, so it's just grown since then. Um, I love that. I mean, it's just so cool that like what you're describing is sort of that like creating this was kind of just like a natural outflow of like multiple things being right I mean you were already wanting to engage in like anti-racism and the question of like what to do next was there and it felt cathartic for you to make the cakes like mm -hmm. I mean that's just such a beautiful use of like your art that you already kind of had and then channeling it into a means of something creative and something that's like really going toward change yeah that's so cool <laughs> yeah yeah and obviously like anti-racism is never just limited to a single part of our lives and I don't think that sweet sweet justice should ever be my only work of engaging in anti-racism and um I think there's I mean, there's opportunity and responsibility to engage and explore anti-racism in all the different parts of our life. But it's been very, very cool this past year to find um, an opportunity to 
bake and use something that I already love to do so much and have that be a way to gather with other people. And like you're saying, engage, like I'm learning as other folks are learning. I'm learning as I go, learning about organizations and people here in Seattle and around the country doing such great work. So it was really just a beautiful combination, as you've said. Yeah, that's so awesome. I think I remember you saying on your Instagram that while you were in Denmark, you were pretty committed to that anti-racist education that you had already kind of been doing. Mm -hmm. Can you talk more about like how you felt ready to like create this platform and like how you got there in that journey of like educating yourself? Sure. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I was or ever am ready and I don't think I was or (laughs) am educated. Um, but I, um, I did learn a lot while we were in Denmark because of just having more time available. Um, I grew up not really being aware of racism at all and I was surrounded by it and I was totally complicit in it. Um, but just so unaware and really, um, my understanding of loving other people was very limited to kindness and interpersonal relationships, which is absolutely important. Um, but just not the whole picture. Um, so in college, I had started dating my now husband who is black and in just being around him and spending time with him started noticing how he was experiencing the world differently than I was. Um, and it really, you know, I've, I think I've, I've said this in the past. It's really a shame that it took a marriage license to force me to see past my own nose. But unfortunately that was the really major catalyst. Um, And so when we moved to Denmark, just weeks after we got married, um, I started finding out that there were even resources available. I remember at a time knowing, like thinking to myself, like, I know racism is real, but how do I learn about this? Like, who do I go to? Where do I learn? And it wasn't until that year of, I think, 2017, even knowing that there were books written about racism. There were people that I could read or podcasts I could listen to. And I listened to one podcast and would just write down every single book that they mentioned. I would write it down and order it and then just speed, like read as much of that as I could. And then whatever books were mentioned in those books or whatever resources were mentioned there, just waterfall through it. Um, And it was great that at that time I was doing my master's degree online, but I just had so much more flexibility in my schedule. Um, And so was able to just read and listen all the time. Um, And during that time, I just saw my entire worldview shifted in some really large ways um, and started um, wondering like, why why aren't we talking about this? Like, why wasn't my church talking about this? (laughs) Why wasn't my family talking about this? Why aren't my friends talking about this? Why, uh, why is this new to me? And so I just started talking about it um, with my, with my circles of folks and obviously learning more and more. And I still like, even now these past couple years, I've learned so, so, so much. Um, so I, when it came time to start this account, I didn't at all feel like this was going to be me educating people from my wealth of knowledge, because if anything, I was just seeing how, um, how much of a deficit my knowledge had throughout my whole life. And even still, Um, and, but what I had learned was that this wasn't new, the problem wasn't new and the solutions weren't just now being formed. Um, and that there were really, really wonderful people to point to, 
Um, and that was the whole goal. And so that's what I aim to lean on in my deficit. Um, you've kind of posted about like some of your education, like on your Instagram or like books that you would recommend, which Mm -hmm. like obviously during 2020, like we saw a lot of people recommending like so many resources Mm -hmm. that it was like overwhelming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but do you have like one in particular that is your favorite or like some, a couple that like feel like they were paramount in your Mm -hmm. reading? I oftentimes reference Ijeoma Oluo's work. Um, Her book, So You Want to Talk About Race, was one of the first primary books that I read and really, really just appreciated her breaking down so much as someone who was just brand new to so many concepts. um, Those, her, I mean, she's just genius. Um, And she's from Seattle. And so her stories and anecdotes that she weaves into the book breaks down all of my previously held myths about Seattle being this like liberal utopia. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And she breaks down so many concepts and she has chapters specifically devoted to hair and specifically devoted to microaggressions and specifically devoted to um, political concepts. And that was really wonderful. Just um, it felt like kind of a dictionary or a glossary to start learning a new language. Um, And I think this is one thing that I've learned so heavily is that um, in many of these conversations, we end up just speaking different languages um, because we learn our definitions in different places or we define things on our own and we we attach those to assumptions and to deep feelings and fears that we have. And so I can say one thing to someone who, you know, gets their news a different place or reads different books and... um, they'll hear my words, but the message that they receive is completely different because we are using different language. Um, so it was very helpful for me to start with Ijeoma Luo and just defining some common language. Um, I also have gone back over and over again to the book Divided by Faith as um, someone who was raised a Christian and is I still identify as a Christian and a person of faith. Um, but there's a lot that comes with white evangelicalism and white Christianity Um, and part of that was this belief that I didn't have a lens and I didn't have a culture. And that is incredibly harmful when you're, when I'm reading the Bible and I am really believing like, this is the word of God, this is absolute truth. And my interpretation of it is a cultural and completely unfiltered. And that piece of um of me not having a culture or a lens is incredibly harmful um and so to step back in this book divided by faith um to see broken down the culture of white evangelicalism and specifically the culture of white evangelicalism as it relates to race and racism in the united states um that book was very powerful for me okay so i think i may have mentioned this earlier but like you are by day job a nurse Mm -hmm. and how has your journey of like nursing kind of related if it has to some of this work too for you that's a good question well I love being a nurse and wanted to be a nurse my entire childhood is pretty much as far back as I can remember Um, and the root of that was just 
like, I want to help people. I want to be with people when they're yeah. vulnerable and I want to provide a service. And I think a lot of nurses go into this profession with helping goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's beautiful. That's great. But that was also paired with a worldview that was just limited to individualism. And so my understanding of helping people and um, being a helper and loving others uh, was just limited to my interpersonal interactions. And so that's um, that was my initial worldview as I was coming into a nursing profession. Um, as I began to learn about history and the way that history had shaped our current situation and learning about um, racial history and all of a sudden like working at a community health clinic and then being international and um, watching the news, all these different things, all of a sudden seeing that none of what I was experiencing or seeing was in a bubble or separated from really any of the events that had come before us. And so then how, how could I commit to serving or helping or loving, or how could I um, claim, like even like the nursing code of ethics or claim beneficence or (laughs) saying that I'm gonna do maximum good and minimum harm, like all of these very basic core principles of nursing and how could I claim that if I was ignoring decades, centuries, layers of trauma and abuse to specific groups of people. Mm. And that was still affecting the people that I was interacting with on the day to day. And so to ignore that was to cause harm. To ignore that would be to not do maximum good to the folks that I was interacting with in healthcare settings. And so it felt very, very natural to combine that, to start asking questions at my workplace and to start looking at the histories of my specific role in the workplace, whether that's clinical nursing or in public health or epidemiology and what are the histories in those fields and how are those histories shaping our work right now? Um, and I, I, even now, you know, at work talking with folks that I work with and we, we try to talk about this as if it's non-negotiable, like going to our anti-racism trainings and caucuses and learning our history is not negotiable because to ignore it would be to not do maximum good and to not be as fully informed in our roles. And that is negligence. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like that's just become a lot more clear. Um, I'm glad it sounds like your workplace is pretty engaged with like anti-racist dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge deal. Okay, thank you for listening. We are going to take a little break. So I hope you're enjoying the episode. Um, go ahead and grab some coffee or just do a, little, do a little group. Just like group with me for a moment. And we'll be back in a second. Um, your kind of like work as a nurse and your like passion with baking cakes and, and raising money for these organizations is like being separate. Like, do you, How do you feel like, do they feel like, very separate parts of your life or do they feel more connected to you? Hmm. I think I just don't see my life as very separated in general, if that makes sense. Um, I think all of it, all of it stems from like, what are my values and what am I about? And then 
those things, those values will shape what I'm doing in the work setting and what I'm doing at home. And so of course, like I'm, I'm baking on my time off <laughs> and it's like more of a coping and self-care activity. Sometimes, sometimes I don't want to bake, but, um, it's, it's obviously like very different kind of time spent, but, um, I just think that everything that I do in my life is very seasonal and very like I, the job I'm in right now won't be the job that I'm in forever. And probably like sweet, sweet justice is not going to last my entire life. Um, but the, the values that I have and the things that are important to me in this life will be what drive me in whatever season. And so in that way, it feels very tied together. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can kind of relate to that in the sense of diving into projects that like I care a lot about mm. because like I feel that they're consistent like with my values however they may not um they may not last forever and like that's mm. totally okay because we're ever evolving and changing right yeah <laughs> um did you have any reservations like when you thought about starting the the account like what did you have any fears going into it? Yeah, I think one primary fear um, or reservation. I am, you know, as we've said, I'm, I think we've said I'm a white woman, so I'm not a person of color. I have not experienced racism personally. I've now I've witnessed it very closely and it touches my heart very in a very personal way because of my partner and my family, but I still have not experienced it personally. Um, and I'm coming with an entire lifetime of built lenses that are shaped by white supremacy um, and individualism and um, my own internalized racism from over the years. And so, um, of course, any time that um, I, as a white woman, am speaking or doing anything, I need I need to be speaking and doing things, but there is, there is a line. Um, so my fear in starting Sweet Sweet Justice was that it would contribute to me being centered or um, either my own internalized saviorism or other folks seeing me as a savior, as um, like the hero of the story. Um, when I designed Sweet Sweet Justice, the goal, and this was very much like for myself and for others, was to every week highlight organizations and um, local heroes who are really leading the charge so that we knew we had a place to engage in or if something resonated with us there was a place we could donate to or go spend our time and serve at um, so there were very clear action steps for those of us who were new to our learning um, and so the design is very much like my goal is to not be in the center but my fears have also been very much confirmed in that I am very often centered because of Sweet Sweet Justice. Um, so even in the past year, I've been on television twice, um, both oh, on King oh Five News and on the Drew Barrymore wow. show, which um, is, sure, that's very exciting, but also like I'm on television as the local hero for King Five News and not the staff at like, Creative Justice Northwest, not the staff at Choose 180 or the Seattle-based organizations that are actually doing this work, but um, because I have all of these intersecting identities that are very privileged and very um, uh, 
what's the word? Um, like very digestible. <laughs> um, because of that, I just end up getting centered. And so, um, like Nikita Oliver and the folks at Creative Justice Northwest were not featured and I was, and I'm not the one doing the important work. I'm just running an Instagram account. And the reason I'm centered is because I allow for folks to check a box that say I talked about racism. Um, we did the story, we called it out that it was bad, but really like nothing was done, no risks were taken because I'm a young, white, straight-sized woman baking cakes like that is the most <laughs> the most like stupid <laughs> approachable like digestible like non-threatening thing like <laughs> when you talk about anti-racism work you're featuring like a like a young white woman who's baking I wanted to I wanted to say like vanilla because yeah. we're talking about the flavor of like yeah. the cakes like <laughs> yeah and that's really unfortunate like it I I hate that that happens and I am constantly trying to maneuver like how to respond to those situations and how can I how can I use any spotlight that I receive to point back to the folks who really are heroes um, and really doing the work and the ones who we should be spotlighting but um, unfortunately I am very often centered and um, so that's been a confirmed fear in this in this whole project yeah <laughs> um that sounds really tricky to navigate because like here you are trying to kind of like intentionally um, spotlight these organizations and then being asked to be featured. Um, I mean, I wanted to ask you like, what do you think allyship means? And I mm -hmm. feel like that really relates to this kind of tension that both of us seem to kind of be navigating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, Again, like would never, I, I'm not qualified to like define the word, but I can speak for sure to like what has been convicting me about this concept more recently. Um, and that's been like allyship versus accompliceship. And, um, and like, am I, is my allyship something that is doing a favor or doing something for others because it's kind or because they need it from me versus allyship and picking up a burden because it's also mine to bear. Um, and I see this in, in, um, I don't know, in, in so many ways, but this is just one way that I've been convicted as someone who grew up and spent, you know, my, the way that I tend to be is like, I'll do them a favor. Um, or like I'll do this for them. And I tend to like put myself on a pedestal. Let me offer you this help. Um, and that's just, that's just not helpful and it's innately a bit supremacist. Um, and so I've just been so convicted in reframing my allyship in that like actually racism is absolutely my problem. And any complicity that I have in racism or any like silence or comfort in this reflects a part of my heart that is content with dehumanization. Like racism in any kind of this intersectional discrimination is um, is taking away humanity, um, not allowing people to live fully into their humanity. And for me to be okay with that in any sense reflects some deep issues in myself. So I'm not, I mean, I'm not like doing anyone a favor by calling that out or working against that. That's 
my shit to bear. That mm-hmm. is a huge problem that that would that that reveals in me constantly. Um, and on top of that, like I, I'm not separate from anyone else. Like I'm not separate from my husband or my my neighbors or my community members. And of course, like we're all experiencing things differently, but um, real love, I believe, means I'm not okay if you're not okay. When we're part of a community and we're connected to each other, there is no reality where I'm doing great and you're not. And so if I'm okay with myself doing great and someone not, that means I'm not actually loving them. Um, I, I can't remember like where I read this, but the idea that... Um, like not only does racism and white supremacy like contribute to the dehumanization of black, indigenous, and people of color, um, but it also is dehumanizing white people. Like it it also takes away an aspect of my humanity Mm -hmm. to like to hold that and Mm -hmm. and that's not natural. Like as human beings we are meant to live as you're saying, like in community and harmony, um, like we weren't designed to hold power over the other. Mm. We're meant to be. So I don't know. I feel like that, um, has also kind of resonated with me lately. Yeah. How do you have grace for yourself along the way? Or how do you, or do you, what do you see grace looking like? I guess. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a good question. Grace is something I'm also learning. <laughs> Remember how I said I was like quite perfectionist and anxious and turns out I still am. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> I do. Yeah. And in the same sense, you know, as we're talking about just this interconnectedness, turns out my like patterns of thinking and living my whole life of um, like black and white individualism, pride, like my own supremacy over others and contentedness in like dehumanization and uh, dehumanizing systems. All of this, I mean, that's all my heart and that was directed towards others as it was also directed towards myself. And so part of my learning in, um, in like fullness and um, embodiment that part of this learning that has fed into um, anti-racist learning and has fed into my growth as a nurse and a public health professional has also fed into this relearning um, embodiment and humanity for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Realizing that it's like the same culture that dehumanizes is the one that tells me that I am only my output. Mm -hmm. Um, And these patterns that I've held for my whole life that of telling myself that I'm only my output um, and I'm only worth what I can do. I'm only worth what I can do for others. Um, The patterns of refusing to rest, of refusing to acknowledge my own emotional being and emotional health. All of these things when I think in the context of like having a child is that something that I want to pass down to my child and it's not um and it's it's 
it also just causes me to be worse. <laughs> like I'm not a great human when I'm disembodied from myself. And so in the same way that like, you know, we talk about work and baking and all these things being very interconnected. I also feel like this re relearning this worldview of embodiment and interconnectedness has been a huge benefit for me. Um, and learning how to take days off work and just like take care of my plants or, um, you know, take a week off of baking so that I can spend some really quality time with my partner or um, go to counseling. <laughs> All these things. All are... of these are still very giving activities, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Maybe I should have thought of some better examples. <laughs> I think jumping in the lake would, would have been a great jumping example. Jumping in the lake. <laughs> <laughs> it all but feels hey, very all, connected. What, what is rest to you is valid. Yeah. <laughs> Plants, quality time, jumping in water. That's a good summary. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and it's reminding me of, um, and what has kind of like spurred me into realizing kind of how important this like podcast is for me, mm. um, was in part due to Audre Lorde. Mm. She has an essay, well, I feel like it permeates her whole writing, mm. um, sort of about like, the erotic as power Hmm. and how valuable artistic expression is Hmm. for survival and for thriving. And, um, I, I don't know, I guess for me, I feel like protest is important. Like getting your body out there on the streets to me matters, um, financially advocating for black lives, but also like, I don't know, artistic expression and, emotive participation like feels valuable to me too Mm. and like going along with that like I don't know nurturing my own spirit and letting myself like be artful and participating like to me those things are not disconnected either and right like should be connected because like otherwise it's sort of inauthentic yeah it's absolutely connected when the entire system of capitalism is built on the backs of black bodies then our resistance against racism and our resistance against this capitalist system that defines us by our output is very much one in the same. Hmm. Word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, thinking about like just simply aesthetics, what is your favorite cake that you've made? Oh no. Oh no. You didn't tell me I would have to make this choice live. (laughs) No pressure. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You know how someone, you ask someone, like, who's your favorite child? And they're like, I love all my children. And you're like, well, that's, okay, okay. You're lying. (laughs) Right now, I'm like, well, I love all cakes. (laughs) That's so lame. That's Um, so cute. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well... I've been really surprised with some that I've really liked. I didn't grow up loving cake, but I realized that's because I was eating a lot of bad cake. Um, And when I make it myself, (laughs) you can make good frosting and and manage the sweetness and add new flavors. And um, so, oh my gosh, the cake that I made this winter, that was a gingerbread cake with a brown butter bourbon frosting. I was like, how come no one told me I could put bourbon in frosting? (laughs) 
I'm gonna put bourbon in all my frosting. That was so this good. This is the truest revelation in this whole process. Yes, family, you can put bourbon in your frosting. And then you can eat it out of your Tupperware with a spoon every morning for the rest of the week. I have proven that can be done. Oh my gosh. Lovely. That's awesome. <laughs> but I don't know if that's my hands down favorite because if you asked me again in like 20 minutes, I might have a different answer. Okay, we'll stick with the bourbon frosting for okay. now. Yeah, I'm proud of that answer. answer. Too. Okay. <laughs> um, well, you can't reveal what cake is next right mm. now. Yeah. It's a secret. Also, but... I don't know. I have to decide tonight. <laughs> Here's a peek into my planning. <laughs> well, we will be excited to hear about it. Yeah. Um, but do you have like thoughts about kind of where you see sweet, sweet justice going or like continued vision that you have? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. I've been asked it a couple of times and I don't think I ever have a very satisfying answer. Um, yeah, I, as I've said, I'm very content with different parts of life being very seasonal and I don't think everything needs to just grow and maximize forever. Um, so I, I'm hoping that Sweet Sweet Justice will just continue as long as it works in our lives. Sure. Um, as soon as it takes away from like my time with family, um, of course with my partner, and then we're expecting our first child, and that's going to be a priority. So if I can keep baking through all of that, then oh my gosh, I will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if it needs to take a back seat, then it will. The most important BIPOC life will be my husband and my daughter. Yeah. The end. Um, <laughs> um, but I've also thought I would love to like start doing farmers markets and be able to start selling some cakes like and see people's faces in person wow. would be really lovely. Um, or do like pop ups maybe? Yeah. Yeah. I've really loved any opportunity to do um, like cakes to order for people's weddings. That's just been an honor every time. So I don't know. For now, Sweet Sweet Justice has just been wonderful. Um, and I'll keep doing it as long as it's helpful and as long as it fits. That's so cool. I love how organic that is and um, just how it's fitting into your life like so naturally. Um, mm -hmm. And it also kind of... I was also curious kind of like what success looks to you, mm -hmm. but in what you're saying, I feel like success may not be a, well, yeah. What, what is success to you? Cause that word is just like so yeah. loaded. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hope to, I plan to just continue learning the best I can for the rest of my life. I think the quest of loving others well is just ongoing and never ending and that's very exciting and beautiful and humbling um and I don't see loving others or um and anti-racism being a huge part of that I don't see that being confined into any one project um and so I'll consider sweet sweet justice a success whatever it is as long as it I mean money has gone to people who really deserve the money and for work that really deserves the money. And so that feels like success to me. Um, but the ongoing 
learning and the ongoing advocacy and, and work of anti-racism that I am working to engage in um, is also relevant in my workplace and in my home and in my um, church and in my friend groups and community groups. And, um, you know, in a future season, it might be relevant in like my children's schools or like whatever communities. So we'll always, there will always be yeah. opportunities to lean in. Um, and so I don't know if success is very well defined at this time. It's just kind of like keep learning and keep leaning in um, and doing it in every season in whatever way that looks like because it's important. It's the most important. Yes, that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> um, I, I love it. It's just really speaking to your heart, being in a place of um, this project is like such a natural outpouring of your heart and that's that's the juiciest kind of art and <laughs> out there so I love it yeah um do you have anything else that you want to share or um how can we how can we um get our hands on one of these cakes oh my goodness <laughs> well you can absolutely follow on instagram which is at sweet dot sweet dot justice um, and I post every week, but there also is just so much good stuff all the way back to the beginning, um, with just so many like very incredible organizations that I have learned about so far. Um, like, holy cow, like creative justice Northwest and Seattle clemency project learned about them. My mind was blown. Like Seattle is so blessed to have so many incredible people and organizations. Um, so for sure, please bid, get a cake. Um, but also, like the reason it's called Sweet Sweet Justice is because justice in its own is sweet, it is beautiful. Like it's warm and lovely and wonderful when we do right by other people. Um, and part of that is like this reparations action of really giving of ourselves sacrificially and that is just a truly sweet, lovely thing. Um, and so if you're looking for somewhere to engage, please look through all these old posts and look through all the incredible organizations and leaders um, and like pay them. That's it. <laughs> Word. I love that. Thank you, Michaela, for sharing. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having so me. Thank you. You're welcome. And now I actually made a honeycomb cake that I'm going to give some to Michaela. It's not going to measure up to her cakes, but <laughs> I can't tell you how excited I am. I just feel like I should get an extra round of applause for like sitting through an entire interview and not like <laughs> stealing cake. <laughs> That's true. That was pretty mean of me. Yeah. So Smells amazing. I'm going to give some to her now. <laughs> wow. Since then, things have changed. I see love just beyond the
Sarah for sharing your light and passion on this podcast episode. I felt so inspired by our conversation. If you'd like to check out Michaela's Cakes and or learn about more of the work of local organizations advocating for racial justice, check out her on Instagram at sweet.sweet.justice. She's auctioning off delicious cakes each week, and this is also a great space to learn about the work being done in the Seattle area. Thank you for listening. As a listener, you are part of the art of this podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and recommend it to a friend who you'd think would like it. Big thanks to the Marshall Law Band for the feature of their song Mercy on this episode. If you'd like to hear more of their funk pop sounds, listen on Bandcamp, any streaming platform, or follow them on Instagram at Marshall Law Band. You can also see them live on Fridays until August 27th in Seattle at Fremont Fridays, which I have personally gone to and can attest that these shows are the dopest vibes around. They will also be playing July 25th at Woodland Park Zoo, Brody Nation on the 31st, and with General Mojos on August 7th. The podcast intro music is by Afterspace, whose music you can find on SoundCloud. Mixing and support is by Alan Lauderback. Podcast art is by Sarah Day. And promo art is by Aubrey McMichael. Thank you so much for listening and have a magical day. I'll talk to you later. Mercy, mercy on my soul.